Hi everyone, my name is Dominique. And I'm Adriana. And, and we, we are Survivor, Survivor Sisters. Sisters. Survivor Sisters is a podcast and organization that shares the stories of sexual assault survivors on college campuses to educate, empower, and inspire other survivors and their peers to take action against sexual assault. It's really crazy because Survivor Sisters has been probably um, in the works since mid to late August, so it's super surreal and exciting that we're finally sitting down to record episode one of the podcast, which will feature my twin sister and co-host, and frankly, the inspiration behind Survivor Sisters, (laughs) Adriana. But before we get into her story and learn about her experiences and um, why she is involved in Survivor Sisters, I just want to talk a little bit more about what Survivor Sisters is, how it came to be, and the impact that we hope to make for sexual assault survivors through our podcast. So I'm currently a senior at Barnard College, and I am a part of the Athena Scholars Program at Barnard, which is an academic and extracurricular leadership program targeted towards young women. And the Athena Center at Barnard is dedicated to developing leadership skills in women, as well as analyzing and critiquing um, how women exist in the realm of leadership and how we can overcome the barriers that they face on their path to leadership. So as a senior Athena scholar, um, you're required to complete a social action project, which is a semester-long project that is designed to address some sort of social issue and make a positive impact in that realm. So for me, it was only natural that I chose to address sexual assault on college campuses. This has been an issue that I've been passionate about probably since high school when I saw the documentary The Hunting Ground on Netflix, which is an amazing documentary, highly recommend. And it really just opened my eyes to an issue that I didn't even know existed to begin with and to the hypocrisy and inaction and injustices that are committed by colleges and universities all across the United States. And so, you know, unfortunately... I have also developed personal ties to this issue, but this has been a problem that I have been passionate about and always learning more about and um, educating myself and trying to take action in any way that I can um, to make some sort of positive impact. But this is also a problem that has such a huge scope. This problem exists at every single college and university all across the United States and honestly probably all across the world. So when thinking of a solution for how I was going to address something like this it was really daunting and intimidating and to tackle you know the administration of colleges directly was something that became really clear early on was going to be almost impossible, especially for some, you know, random average girl completing a semester-long project. And, and time constraints aside, I definitely lacked the resources, the connections, and the manpower to make a difference in, in this way. So I had to start looking at the problem as a whole and breaking it down even further because it is such a complex and intricate problem that has so many different smaller problems within one larger scope. And I realized that something that goes beyond just the administration refusing to serve justice for survivors, provide appropriate sanctions and punishments for the rapists and assailants on their campuses. The overall arching issue is that survivors are just silenced. They're silenced in all facets of life. They're silenced by the administration and the police when they go to report, when they're not taken seriously, when everything does end up going to trial or through a hearing and colleges and police 
and the justice system in general just make a statement through the punishments and sanctions that they enact are, to put it lightly, inappropriate and um, gross, and they really just show survivors that they don't matter, that their voices don't matter, their traumas don't matter, and it just silences them in that regard. You know, also, sometimes their own family and friends silence them, too, which is really unfortunate. They say things like, are you sure that this is what happened? Like, what were you wearing? Things that they're trying to spin it around on them and victim blame them. And, you know, saying things like, oh, you know, I know that person. They're my friend. I don't think they would ever do something like that. And really turning the blame onto the victim and silencing them in that regard. And this obviously all just stems from judgment and stigma from society in general. Society tells survivors through our actions and through our words that they don't matter that we don't believe them and that they just need to shut up and so in order to address the silencing of survivors i decided that perhaps a podcast would be a great way to do this and to create a platform where survivors can come on and share their stories and feel safe and supportive and they can take back their voice by sharing their experiences their traumas and refusing to be silenced any longer and so with that I'm going to turn it over to Adriana to just introduce herself, to share her story, and um, why she's involved with Survivor Sisters. All right, great introduction. Hi, my name is Adriana. I am a senior at Rutgers University studying psychology and minoring in health and society. My hopes for the future is to become a trauma therapist to work with sexual assault victims, and here is my story. So when I was a sophomore, I had transferred to Rutgers University. I didn't really know many people, but I quickly became knitted with um, a few close friends. And so one night, you know, I went over to my close friend's house, and he will, who will not be named, sort of made, like, sexual advances on me that, like, I was okay with, like, making out and stuff like that. But once it got to the sexual aspect and penetration, I was very not okay with it. And I just really remember saying stop and no and please and him just really not caring, him holding me down, me being helpless, me shaking, me crying. And that was the first instance that I was ever raped and I was 19 at the time. So after this, I went home because I wasn't home. Like, I went to, back to my dorm room. I told my friends. I told my sister. She came down with me. She took me to the hospital, my older sister, Angela. And I got a rape kit done. So basically what they did in the rape kit is they physically examine you. They give you a psych evaluation. They take pictures of you. They swab your whole entire body. It's very uncomfortable. It's a very traumatizing process after what you have been through and you know with my correspondence with the police about what a rape kit even does is it basically just proves you had sex with someone not that you were raped and when you go to the police with your rape kit evidence it can't even be used unless your rapist consents to um, them doing a DNA test on him so really my personal experience with the rape kit was very traumatizing and worth absolutely nothing for me. So after um, He Who Shall Not Be Named raped me my sophomore year, I decided I didn't want to press charges because I was scared that my friends were going to hate me, that the boy that I was seeing at the time was going to hate me, and I kind of just like 
blamed myself and didn't want to lose my friends. Can you talk a little bit more about the reaction from your friends? You say that they, you were afraid that they were going to hate you or that the boy that you were seeing was going to hate you. Why do you say that? Because, you know, this boy who had raped me was, you know, very popular amongst our friends. And I remember when I went to go get my rape kit done, my friends were with him knowing what had happened. And they had told him why I was at the hospital. And they said because he was crying, it meant he was innocent. And that, to me, was just completely, like... Bullshit? Yeah. <laughs> bullshit. Fucking bullshit, man. Fucking <laughs> bullshit. That was just complete bullshit to me. Like, here I was lying on a fucking table or whatever, a hospital bed, getting poked and pronged and shoving pictures up my vagina, like, literally up my vagina, a camera. And so they're like, oh, but he's crying, so it means he's innocent. And it's Mm -hmm. like, yeah, he's fucking crying because he raped me. Like, I don't know, like, people, I know, like, people, like, lie about their accusations sometimes, like, sometimes. Like, if you could see me, I'm literally putting quotes in the air. Yeah. Because I know sexual assault is, like, very hard to prove because you have to be, like, in the room, I guess, like, if you really need to know what happened. Mm -hmm. But I feel like anyone who's accused of sexual assault is going to cry. They're, like, a human being who's, like, capable of some type of emotion. And so... Basically, what happened after that with my friends is that they remained friends with him, and, like, I was, like, always around, and I was still around him because I didn't want to lose my friends. You know, I just transferred here, and, like, I was going through a tough time. Like, I was just raped, and I've Mm -hmm. dealt with a lot of issues, like, in the past, so to begin with, I was mentally healthy, so... But, obviously, any traumatic incident is going to affect me negatively, affect anyone negatively. So, what happened after that is the boy that I was seeing really liked... When he found out, he said, I'm a liar. He said, I'm full of shit. He never wants to talk to me again. Because, you know, it was his best friend who did it to me. And I was, like, feeling at a very, very, very low point. And, you know, I kind of just kept to myself. I stuck around my rapist for a really long time. Because I didn't want to lose any more people. So I had to endure seeing him. And I actually endured, like, a personal relationship with him after the fact because I was scared that if I didn't, that I would pay a consequence. And I actually Mm -hmm. ended up paying another consequence while we were at our mutual friend's birthday party. And he physically assaulted me by beating me up, kicking me, calling me a whore, calling me an accuser. And I didn't sleep at that party. It was like a slumber party party on New Year's Eve. And I didn't sleep. And I stayed up and was scared, and I drove home, like, literally no sleep. Drove home the next day. I was supposed to go and, like, hang, because she, the girl's birthday, she was one of my best friends at the time. And, you know, I told them what happened, and no one really seemed to give a shit. I was supposed to, like, spend the day with her, because, like, her birthday was New Year's Day, but um, I ended up driving home, no sleep, about to fall asleep behind the wheel. I just remember having, like, bruises, like, all up and down my legs, and... You know, I would tell my friends and I would tell them the picture of the bruises and, like, honestly, like, when I say no one gave a shit, like, literally no one gave a shit. Like, I'm... It's crazy. I'm... Ve- yeah, it is crazy. And I'm very understanding that rapists have families and they have friends. Mm-hmm. Just because they raped me doesn't really mean that they were a terrible person to their family and friends. So, like, I was very, like, understanding of the fact that... Yeah. This man had 
friends and like yeah i think that's a misconception a lot of people think that just because like they know someone and they have a certain type of relationship with someone and, and it's positive and it's a great relationship that doesn't mean that they can't treat other people in a different way exactly and i understand like why people think like oh my god how could you know so and so who i love so much who's such a great friend to me ever do something so horrible and unimaginable but the reality is you know you don't necessarily know everyone and they can act completely different in in different situations and in different relationships and you know it's different context with everyone so like i understood that this boy had friends and a family but what i didn't understand is why my friends didn't give a shit that he raped me and beat me up and how they could still defend him to Mm -hmm. me after saying oh he didn't rape you but he beat me up over it so doesn't that show his aggressive behavior like maybe exactly you should take a step back and realize oh maybe he did rape her because she's been telling the truth about his character towards her yeah the whole entire and time even regardless you know if they're your friends and you're t- turning to them and saying that something traumatic happened to you they should believe you there should be that trust established that why would you lie to them about something like that they yeah. know you they know who you are they know your heart your truth And so why would you then go ahead and lie and try to defame someone when that's just not the case at all? Yeah, so, like, needless to say, I'm not friends with them anymore. Um, Hallelujah. Yeah, um, (laughs) I just realized that they weren't the people I needed in my healing journey and support because I went through a very tough time. And these friends, they had actually reported me to Rutgers. You could do something through Rutgers where you report your concern over a student saying how I was suicidal and stuff. I mean, I wouldn't say I was, like, I obviously was in a dark place, but I was taking care of myself, I was going to therapy, I was, like, managing it, because I felt therapy was the best route for my healing, to talk about it with someone. But, yeah, they reported me to Rutgers, and Rutgers, not caring that I was raped, honestly, told me I was a liability, and that I had to take a medical leave, because I couldn't live there if I was going to kill myself. So that was my first instinct where I felt Rutgers had completely failed me Mm -hmm. with my sexual assault. And I remember not being contacted by Title IX about my first sexual assault. I didn't even know what Title IX was. And for those of you who don't even know what Title IX is, it basically deals with sexual assault on college campuses. It's a whole office. Among other things. Yes. But it's a whole office, and they're very strong on dealing with student conduct. And sexual assault is, like, their number one thing that they deal with. And... I wasn't even contacted by Title IX, and what I realized is that I should have been contacted by Title IX about what had happened to me, because I had reported it to Rutgers a couple times. I reported it that time, and I remember I reported it a week after it happened, because I had asked, yes, I had asked if I could take a medical leave, and they said no, because I had just transferred here, and I showed them my discharge papers and everything from the hospital, and they were like, no, because you won't be admitted in for the spring if you took a medical leave because you just transferred here so you need to complete your first semester here and I was like well I'm gonna fail all my classes and they're Mm -hmm. like we don't care so so this medical leave was for the spring semester yes so I ended up leaving for a month the month of April I wasn't in school so I wasn't there um I went on medication I take um an antidepressant now and honestly, like, really changed my life, the medicine. I had a lot of built-up anxiety and depression, and the medicine helped me better to function and deal with it. 
So I ended up going back to Rutgers in the summer, and I was in this lease with my um, friends who, you know, weren't really good to me. And I was, like, very nervous about, like, going into this and living with them. I was very nervous, but, like, my Lexpro really helped me. And I felt like I was starting to get better and get back in my groove. And I started talking about what happened to me. And I made my first initial post on social media on, I believe, July 30th. And I, I talked about what had happened to me. And I think that was the moment when I decided I want to be an advocate for people. I want to talk about this because it needs to be talked about. So the boy who had raped me my sophomore year, he got kicked out of school for failing. So he doesn't go there anymore. So for me, that's a blessing in disguise because honestly, even though I maintained that personal relationship with him, you know, I felt sorry for him because he would come to me and he'd apologize. He'd tell me he'd stop, stop drinking, that he stopped smoking, that he would stop doing drugs, you know. And, like, he told me he's in such a bad depression and stuff like that. And I actually was the one who said, you know, look, like, you should go on medicine. You should talk to a therapist. You have issues, like, and you should go see someone. Like, maybe it'll help you. I don't know how he's doing right now, but I know I'm doing okay. So that's all I can hope for. Yeah, that's all that matters. So you had to take a uh, medical leave. But how did this experience affect you academically um socially did it have any effects in those areas that you could talk about yeah definitely definitely did um so I was a chemical engineer coming into Rutgers University and everyone knows that chemical engineering is one of the hardest if not the hardest major to pursue in college and so I went into Rutgers completely new school, blindsided about how hard the curriculum was. I was taking um, 18 credits my first semester there. Basically, I did really shitty my first semester. I I couldn't, like, after I was raped, I was raped on a Sunday, and I had an exam on a Wednesday, and Mm -hmm. I spent all Monday in the hospital. So Tuesday, I'm like, wow, like, fuck myself. Like, I have to study for this fucking exam. And, you know... The curriculum is hard enough as it is. Like, I'm dealing with this whole weight on my shoulders. Yeah. So, you know, I I failed a class. I got D in in another class, C's in the rest. Like, just, like, completely shitting on my GPA. I think I got, like, a 1.6 GPA. And and out of character for yourself, too, because at your previous school, Manhattan College, you made the dean's list. Yeah. I grabbed... Not, ugh, I was about to say graduate. No, I left, <laughs> I left Manhattan College with a 3.6 cumulative GPA for chemical engineering. And, you know, I left Manhattan College because it wasn't the right fit for me. But here I am, go to Rutgers, and it's, like, completely new environment. Like, huge lecture halls, huge school. I don't know mm-hmm. anyone except for... It's a big adjustment. Yeah, one of my friends, Lulu, she um, transferred here with me. So, like, I didn't know anyone, though. So it was, like, very hard for me. And then just getting raped two months in really did not help me like at Mm, all I don't think it would help anyone getting raped but (laughs) it really just like plummeted my self-esteem plummeted my grades my Mm. sense of hope my motivation so going into the second semester of sophomore year I was very scared to be alone but I also didn't like to go out I would have frequent panic attacks and would have to leave early I started developing like little like panics 
when I would like have to go out because I just didn't want to be in that environment but I also didn't want to be alone in my room like crying myself to sleep Mm -hmm. so it was kind of just like very hard for me there were a lot of days I couldn't get out of bed and you know I would feel like very down on myself that I couldn't do it and I couldn't understand like why can't I get out of bed because like I wanted to like I wanted to learn like I wanted to improve my GPA yeah and so I just like wasn't I wasn't well mentally I was always sleeping always you know irritated I often found that I would take my anger out on you know my roommate like she was my best friend like she was one of the friends who I talked about but you know my roommate like she was my best friend so I just like often took out my anger on her because I didn't have any outlets and she was oh like she's the close she was the closest person to me like in proximity and in relationship wise and you know I just felt like I couldn't deal with being mm-hmm. around people with maintaining those interpersonal relationships and with living I just like felt like a robot had to get my shit done except I couldn't get my shit done because I couldn't get out of bed and it's like oh I'm I'm on academic probation like Rutgers doesn't care that I was raped like they're gonna dismiss me if I don't do well in the semester and then up Rutgers kicked me out so I had to re-enroll and just everything so it's just like very low points Mm -hmm. I was re-enrolled for the fall in the engineering program so I was very hopeful about the fall and what happened was I was supposed to live with my friends who weren't that great to me but my landlord was doing illegal construction about two days before we were moving in (laughs) so I had to skirt skirt out of there and find a new place so I found a new place to live with completely new girls and you know what honestly best decision I ever made so I live there and everything's going great. I'm having the time of my life. I'm making new friends. I have an amazing supportive friend group now. They're amazing. That's great. Yeah. And a lot of them, not a lot, a few of them have gone through what I've been through being raped. So it's just comforting to be around people who don't understand what you've been through, but who Mm -hmm. also have understood what you've been through because they're just so supportive in more ways than I could ask and and that's what survivor sisters is really all about that's our intention is to to not only share stories but to create a community right of survivors and show um that we're not alone yeah definitely so my second semester of junior year i had gotten kicked out of the engineering school because i i couldn't do it like it mm-hmm. just it's very hard and to come back from academic probation is extremely hard when in an engineering school. So I was like, you know what, this is the best for me. I'm going to take a break from engineering. Like, it's my passion, but, you know, I think I have another passion that I want to devote myself to, and that's psychology. I want to be a trauma therapist and help victims. So I had decided that's my set course, so I took some different courses my um, second semester of junior year to kind of expand my horizons and figure out if it's really what I want to do with my life. So my syllabus week of my junior year, second semester, I was, actually, I had just gotten finished with a boy that I really cared about. We were seeing each other for about like four months. So I just, we had just ended, like I was very sad about it, but I knew like 
it was just probably for the best. So I was just getting out there, you know, not really looking for anything, just like talking to people, like mingling. And I had a friend, this friend, he who shall not be named. Um, we had met in August before our junior year, so I had known him for a while now, and he had a girlfriend. And we were just kind of just like friendly, and I remember him coming to me when him and his girlfriend broke up in November of my junior year, 2017? No, 18. Mm-hmm. 18. 2018, um, November, they broke up, and he was just kind of, like, really sad, and I was just, like, giving him, like, you know, some moral support, like, some general, like, friend advice. Like, I thought we were, like, friends. And so the spring 2019 comes around syllabus week and he like makes out with me on our way home from a bar I was driving every all my friends home because I was sober and like I dropped I dropped him off last and he was like kissing me and I was like oh I just like never really knew that like he likes me like that and you know like Mm -hmm. I didn't really like think I really liked him like that either so the whole syllabus week he was like talking to me and stuff like oh like saying he wants to see me and stuff and I was like you know like I'd maybe I'd want to see him too so one night it was a Thursday of syllabus week he um texted me asking me where I was and I said I'm at a party like I'm with my friends and he was at the bars because he's 21 and he was saying how he wanted to see me and I told him straight up I was like you know maybe I would want to see you too but I have my period my legs are not shaved like gross um just for me like gross like nothing shaved like and also, just, like, a little thing about me, like, I'm not really shy about sharing this. I had contracted an STD, chlamydia, from the boy. Yeah, I know, it sucks. <laughs> from the boy who it's I was okay. seeing. So I was, like, a little pissed off and upset that I had to deal with that. So I took my medicine. They tell you you're not supposed to, like, have sex or anything. So I was following the doctor's orders and I was not gonna have sex but like I didn't want to tell this boy that because like we were friends like we're not we're not close like that where I'm gonna be like hey like I had chlamydia and so whatever so yeah it's like (laughs) hey everyone I have chlamydia like so you know I told him I was like so if you want to come over and like make out and cuddle because like who's not down for cuddles like I'm so your girl but like if not like you should find another girl like I totally understand and he was, like, saying things like, oh, I've been waiting for you, like, I want to see you, like, and I was like, yeah, but, like, we can't have sex, and, like, I really want to make that clear that, like, I won't have sex. And he was like, yeah, we don't have to have sex. I was like, I was like, are you sure? He was like, I really want to see you, so I'm like, are you sure that you don't want to have sex and that you're okay with not having sex? And he was like, yes. So I was like, okay, you can come over, and I gave him my address. So he came over about, like, 2.30 a.m., and when he got there he ripped my clothes off he ripped my pants off I fought him I was like kicking him like to not take my pants off he got me completely naked and I said I don't want to have sex like I don't understand like I'm on my period like I don't want like this is I don't want this Mm -hmm. and he like took his clothes off and just would hold me down, you know, perform oral sex on me, would then penetrate me, told me he wanted to watch me squirm and take his time with me, um, hold down my wrist so I couldn't push his head away from me, couldn't push his body off me, was just very forceful, very, was 
hurting me. I remember pleading no. I remember pleading stop, saying I don't like this, shivering, my whole body shivering. And, you know, in this moment, I kind of just, after a while, I just gave up, you know? Yeah. I just kind of just, like, blacked out. Yeah, I really just, I, like, blacked out. And, like, I kind of just felt like there's no way, like, I'm going to win this fight. Like, he's clearly way stronger than me and he's not shy about asserting that strength dominance over me at Mm -hmm. all yeah I mean you did fight back and use your words and your actions to do so but a lot of times people like there's a common misconception that if you freeze up or if you don't do anything or you just succumb to whatever's happening to you that means that you are providing consent because you're not actively dissenting and that's not the case absolutely not and honestly well, I'll just they'll give you a little preview about what I'm going to talk about further. But in um, my Title IX hearing, yes, I had a Title IX hearing. I went to Title IX. He actually said that I changed my mind. And I, I spoke up and I was like, even if you did change my mind, which you did not, that's rape. Yes, coercion change. is rape. Yes, coercion is 100% rape because I stood my ground and I said no. And you know what? What if I was changing my mind because I was scared that you were going to hurt me or something? Mm-hmm. Or you were pleading me or... And honestly... Threatening you. If I cha- if I didn't even change my mind, which I did not change my mind. He still did what he did. He still raped me. He still penetrated me. He still did everything that I didn't want him to. Held yeah. me down. Everything. So it's just like coercion is still rape succumbing to what has happened to you like I did after I fought and gave up is still rape so after he had raped me um we went to the bathroom and he wouldn't let me be alone and I wanted to go to the bathroom by myself I was like this is weird like who the fuck wants to pee in front of someone else like and so then he just like I was like, can you please get out? So he waited outside the bathroom door for me but I thought he was just gonna go into my room or something and like leave me alone and then he, like, barged into the bathroom. He's like, oh, my God, you took forever to pee. I'm like, I'm like, this fucker. <laughs> like, so he hopped in my bed. And, like, I, at this time, it was probably, like, 4 a.m., 5 a.m. I'm exhausted. I'm in shock. Yeah. I let him sleep over, which poor decision on my part. It's not your fault. I know it's not my fault, but I wake up to him getting ready to have sex with me at 8 a.m. in the morning. And he just shoves it in me while I say, are you fucking serious? It's 8 a.m. in the morning. I do not want to do this. And he just has sex with me. And, you know, he only stops because I start bleeding all over him. Because, like I said, I have my period. And, you know, I made it clear to him that I was really uncomfortable, that I wasn't shaved, and that I had my period. And, like, he said he didn't care. And, like, he... Yeah. I mean, regardless if you have a reason or not. If you don't want to have sex with someone, then you don't want to have sex with them. And that's it. Point blank, period. My reason was, I'm uncomfortable. I don't want to have sex, you know? I'm not in the mood. I don't want to have sex. Not wanting to have sex is reason enough to not have sex. Exactly. So he just didn't listen to me, and he stopped when I started bleeding on him in the morning. And he went to bed, and I had to lie awake and wait for him to get out of my room because I didn't know what to do. Because I know I had been through this before, but honestly, I just, I didn't expect this to happen to me again. So, while this was happening, I was just texting a few of my friends, like, telling them what was, what was happening. I just, like, you know, he got out of my room, 
and left and he texted me asking if he left his headphones at my house and asking me how I was and I said I'm in pain and I said you really like fucked like I'm in pain like who fucking says that and I was like you fucked up my boobs because I couldn't even wear a shirt like everything hurt so bad Mm -hmm. and like to me that's me like kind of indicating to him that what he did was not okay but like to him it was him it was me giving him my consent saying i had a very shitty painful time and my nipples feel like they're gonna fall the fuck off Yeah, because that's what sex is supposed to feel like that's what consensual sex is let me tell you with all the consensual sex i've had my nipples have (laughs) never like felt like they were gonna fucking fall off and like my pelvis didn't hurt and like my legs didn't hurt and they there i wasn't covered in bruises all over my fucking legs exactly so after that i blocked him everywhere and i didn't talk to him after that last conversation with him and I with the help of my supportive friends I was like you know what what he did to me was it was rape it wasn't okay mm-hmm. and I just I didn't want to admit it to myself because I didn't want to say oh fuck I'm in this situation again after yeah. I had done so much to rebuild myself and heal from my previous um rape my sophomore year so then I I took action. I went to his fraternity. I went to the president and the vice president, and I said, here's what happened to me. And I was like, honestly, I'm not going to stop living my life. Like, I didn't want to stop going to the fraternity that he was in because all my friends were in there. I didn't want to stop going out and having fun with my friends. I didn't want to stop with my schoolwork. Like, I didn't want this to change my life. So... I was pretty numb after the fact that it happened because I had saw him at that part at a party on a Tuesday after it happened and that's when I reported him to his fraternity and I was like this is what happened and I showed him all the evidence I showed him all the text messages I showed them the bloody napkins I showed them the pictures of my bruises um and I gave them everything and I was like I would really appreciate it if it was held through the fraternity through whatever you guys think is appropriate yeah so they kicked him out and um yeah someone finally (laughs) doing something so they kicked him out for his actions and the vice president of the fraternity he became like my saving grace like he became like my number one supporter through this whole entire um process his name's steven really good person that's what i needed my first rape like that is what i needed when i was sophomore year so i'm very thankful to everything he's done for me so about a week after he raped me and then he was kicked out his friends he who shall not be named his friends contacted my good friends and said oh i think he's gonna kill himself he's been going through such a hard time and so Mm -hmm. i did um what you could do through Rutgers reporting concern about a student oh yeah a wellness check right a wellness check yes so I did the wellness check just to check up on him because I obviously don't want anyone to kill themselves like I'm a human being like yeah I care for human life and like if he's in that bad of a situation he should help himself so I did a wellness check and the police called me asking me why I did this wellness check and I basically I told them what happened and I told them I wasn't willing to press charges at this time and that I just wanted to get out I went to visit my best friend Johanna in Rhode Island I just got away I just didn't want to be there 
So that's when Title IX contacted me. And they set up a meeting with me, and I went in there, and I told them what happened. And they explained to me what their resources were to me. They explained the whole Title IX process. So they explained to me, like, everything that they could do, a formal process, an informal process, um, a one-on-one talking between me and the person who has assaulted me, Mm -hmm. classes that my assaulter could take like just things standardized things that they offer and I went with the formal investigation and basically what that is is I give my statement he who shall not be named gets to make his statement witnesses get to make their statement so my witness was actually my friend Stephen my number one supporter the president of the fraternity and the I think he was vice president once like the year before the people who were in the room with he who shall not be named when they were kicking him. Rapist. Yes, my <laughs> rapist. When he was getting kicked out of his fraternity. Those are the witnesses I chose because those were the ones who were most involved. And then mm-hmm. me and my rapist. And so I gave my statement. And then my rapist gave his statement. And the witnesses gave their statement. It was a very long process. I gave my statement in February, and the investigation did not proceed or conclude. Complete. Conclude. Sorry. (laughs) Did not conclude until the end of May. So, and they had to do follow up statements too. Like, I had to go in for clarification questions, I had to go in to see where our stories did not match. Um, and so, basically, his story was a bunch of horse shit. I mean, I've never heard anyone stray so far from the truth in my life. It was just, like, amazing. Like, my jaw was literally dropping the whole entire time when I heard his side of things. Like, saying I performed oral sex on him. Like, all this stuff. Like, it was just, like, I was just, like, appalled. It was bull. Yeah, it was (laughs) bullshit. Fucking bullshit, man. And so... The sanction that the Title IX office concluded with was expulsion. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I mean, hell yes, like, thank you. Like, someone, like, I didn't think in my wildest dreams that this would happen. I was very skeptical about charges. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they did expulsion, and with this So process, just to be clear, that's what they recommended. Yes, well, when recommending this, it's basically his punishment so he got this punishment yeah, but he so appealed it yeah so okay. through the title nine process you can appeal it twice so the second so the first appeal goes to a hearing okay. so basically what the hearing is um the investigation report is all in there and it's given to a hearing officer an impartial party through the law offices of Rutgers university and the hearing um wasn't until august 2nd so we had like a chunk of time like we we got the sanction i believe it was may 25th like memorial day weekend we got the sanction Mm -hmm. he who shall not be named he appealed it and so it went to a hearing august 2nd was our hearing date and so basically we had to prepare our statements our impact statements what we want to be well what i want to be a sanction because he can't give me a sanction even though during the hearing he tried (laughs) to saying i believe she should be punished as well and it was just crazy. Like, yeah, it was crazy. But um, so I prepared all that stuff. And August 2nd, 
I went in. So I went in with an advocate from VPVA to go with me and I had a support person. So you got to bring an advocate and a support person. I brought my cousin Rachel, who's basically like my sister, and my advocate from VPVA. Violence prevention and victim assistance. Yes, violence prevention and victim assistance. So we went to the hearing and, you know, beforehand, like, we got to read each other's character witnesses. So I had a character witness who came in, my best friend Sam, who I adore so much. And he had character witnesses, like his friends, his girlfriend, and his mom. So they gave character witnesses on his behalf, but he also tried to get my rapist from sophomore year to testify against me and like what kind of fucking bullshit is that <laughs> so they said they said no right yeah they said no absolutely you can't fucking bring not. past sexual history yeah it's also just completely irrelevant to the facts of the case and his punishment so so i was fucking angry that he tried to do this i was fucking angry at both of them so before the hearing took place i actually went to the police in hopes to file charges against them both because i got the witness list and i saw my sophomore year rapist name on that list and i i literally i left my class hysterically crying when i read that list so i went to the police that night and um i said i want to i want to file charges so i gave my statements i like gave my accounts of what happened and they filed police reports about it and then I had made plans to follow up with a prosecutor after my hearing. So my hearing was August 2nd. And, you know, we did the hearing. I gave my statements. He gave yeah. his. I was able to question him. He was able to question me in writing, though he could not directly speak to me. I requested to be in the same room as him because there is an option where you can Skype and not have to be in the same room as them. I actually said I want to be in the same room as this little fucker. And, um... I want to hear what he has to fucking say. Yeah. So after the whole investigation concludes, then, like, what's the timeline for getting actual sanctions? It was, like, three days. We Mm -hmm. heard back on Wednesday. And what were they? It was a two-year suspension. And I was... I was upset. I was Mm -hmm. so upset. Because, to me, that just... Like, rape is a crime. Yeah. And I think the sanction, because he, he was found guilty. He was found guilty on physical misconduct, sexual assault and rape, and disorderly, disorderly conduct. conduct. Yeah. Guilty on all three charges. And to and me... I believe all three are crimes. Yes, Either all misdemeanor three. or fe- federal crimes. They're all crimes. And you know, what's great about the Title IX office is it offers you that justice to seek through the school yeah, when you don't want to go through the police. The criminal system because the criminal in the criminal <laughs> system in a little because i actually dealt with it a little bit but yeah the criminal system is just like hopeless so title nine like gives some hope to students and so a two-year suspension for all these crimes that he's found guilty for just was so fucked up to me like absolutely like heartbreaking so it was and then you appealed it yes yeah, so but... we got our second appeal we both appealed it he appealed saying that he was mad that I didn't get any um, <laughs> oh my God. any punishment and that he thinks that the text messages of me saying that my boobs fucking feel like they're going to fall off and I'm in pain. Mean wasn't that ta- you had nice consensual wasn't, yeah, pleasurable wasn't taken sex. into consideration yeah. that I gave him my consent. Oh my God. So he was just very angry and he thinks um, it was very biased towards him, the whole investigation. 
So he appealed it, and I appealed on grounds of disproportionate sanction. I was like, fuck this stupid shit. Like, mm-hmm. gave him expulsion. And so we heard back in 48 hours after that, and it was appealed to the vice chancellor of student affairs of Rutgers University, mm-hmm. and they stuck with the sanction yeah. of two-year suspension. So he will be allowed to come back in 2021 of fall. Wow. Yeah. So after that, I went to the police, and I met with the prosecutor of Middlesex County, and she was she was so real with me. Like, I'm so thankful she was so real with me because she literally told me, she was like, you need to list everyone that you've come into contact with, with both occurrences, with sophomore year and junior year, everyone you told after the fact, everyone you've come into contact with after the fact. And she was real with me. She was like, you know, he's going, they're going to use their, your sexual, um, your past sexual history, your past sexual history against you. Like Mm -hmm. they're going to call everyone that you've had sex with to the stand. They're going to call all these like witnesses, like, and stuff like that. Like everyone that you've talked to about this has to be interviewed. So like I, your family has to be interviewed. So we already had like a list of 50 people in there who would need to be interviewed from the start. And this is all if there's enough to charge them to go to trial and even with trial she told me it's like lower than five percent of the trials Mm -hmm. come out in a favorable outcome think like one percent it's crazy it really is and it's such a long time constraint it's like three years yeah and he could come back any of my rapists can come back and sue me for I I forget what it's called, but sue me defamation. For, yeah, like something like that. Like based on the fact that like I, they had to go through this like whole shit. So I said, you know what? I just don't feel like I could commit to this in my life, which is valid. Because to me, it just seems like it's like the rape kit. It's like a lost cause. Because they were the actually the people who told me that the rape kit is a lost cause, because. Mm-hmm. My rapists don't have to consent to giving their DNA. And all it proves is when they give their DNA is that we had sex. It doesn't prove if it was consensual or not. So I basically got a camera shoved up me for fucking no reason. It's just so crazy because the system is just so flawed in in all, like, in the college university system, whether public or private universities, um, in the criminal justice system, and just in society in general. It's just, like, such systematic bullshit that goes yeah, on I was and blown it, away. it's just more than that like you've touched upon this it's very traumatic and it just re-traumatizes the victim and it causes them more stress and anxiety and pain than is worth the outcome because too often the outcome is is bullshit it's yeah. nothing too often <laughs> they're not it doesn't it's even so go to crazy. trial too often they do their investigation and nothing fucking happens and i was like why am i gonna devote three years of my life to this when mm-hmm. i i don't know for a fact but i knew in my gut they weren't yeah the odds anything. are the odds are stacked against the survivor yeah. they really are so and basically those are my stories about mm-hmm. the times that i was raped in college which is terrible and just it's been such a terrible experience but you've come out stronger, and yes. I just want to thank you formally. I know I'm your sister, but thank <laughs> you for sharing. You're really so brave, and this is really courageous Yeah, I don't thing. think she's ever really, like, heard the stories, really. No, because, you know, it's a really traumatic experience, and it takes a lot of courage yeah. and bravery. Yeah, I remember um, 
to share. Being raped, yeah, my junior year, I didn't even tell my family till I got my keep going tattoo on my wrist. Yeah, that was like that over was like a, a month, month later. Ago. Yeah. Yeah. And that's okay, and that's valid, and rape is such a, and sexual assault, it's just, they're such traumatic experiences. Yeah, they really are, they really are. And it, everyone is different, sometimes people can never talk about it, and that's okay too, but survive, we want Survivor Sisters to be a platform where those who feel ready, or feel like this is a necessary step for their, for them to heal, and for their journeys, to actually have the opportunity in a safe and supportive place to come on and share their stories and just spread awareness that this is a real issue this affects real people and this is the bullshit that's happening in our world today and we need to do something about it exactly and we want to give a voice to people who can't speak up exactly because we all as one we are one united voice everything that happens to us being raped being assaulted we are here for you and we are here to share our stories because they're your stories too to share it to fucking stop i don't even know i'm getting so hyped up right now to stop rapists to spread awareness about sexual assault on campuses it's like the worst problem that college campuses universities are facing today and there's absolutely like no help for the survivors and there's nothing that is being effective to stop it you know and people are so fucking scared to talk about this they like get and i get where they're coming from some are uncomfortable to talk about it but like everyone like this conversation like needs to be had the uncomfortable conversations need to be had because the Mm -hmm. uncomfortable things that are happening to everyone are so fucking traumatic and terrible and we need to talk about them yeah like it just can't be almost like a taboo in our society and that's and that is not at the fault of the survivors it's just it's at the fall of society and the judgment and the stigma that results and and that's a result directly of the inaction and injustices committed by colleges and universities by the criminal justice system by the people who say you know we don't believe you or you know he he or she seems like a good person i don't think they would do that or what were you wearing Or, or other bullshit like that and so thank you so much again for sharing your story and if you feel like thank you you want to get involved with survivor sisters and share your story please do not hesitate to reach out to us we want to give you that platform you know this isn't about us or or more specifically this isn't about me and my project this is about actually making a difference and creating a platform where people can actually heal and share their traumas and experience and become comfortable not only with themselves but with their trauma and to speak out and shout as loud as we can that, you know what, we are not going to be silenced any longer. I will not be silenced. I think with that, we should conclude our first episode. Even though it was really heavy topic, I think this was really exciting to finally, mm-hmm. you know, start the process on this. And we look forward to sharing the stories of more survivors like Adriana um, with different experiences and seeing how they have transformed their trauma into something positive like Adriana has done with Survivor Sisters and with you know her advocacy through her social media. If you want to support Survivor Sisters and just the cause of sexual assault on college campuses in general, um, we do have merch that we're selling to spread awareness about Survivor Sisters and just about this problem Um, and that is available at the link in our bio. It's via Teespring. 
and our Instagram handle is at Survivor Sisters. So definitely follow us, check us out, spread the word, leave a review in the podcast app if you are enjoying this series. For survivors who want to share their stories, please reach out to us. This is nothing without you guys and your stories. Yeah, even if you just want to share your stories to us and not come on the podcast, yes, we're here to listen. Exactly. This is a safe and supportive community that we were trying to create here. And we just hope that we're able to make a positive impact. And I think that if we can just help one person or just show one person that they're not alone, then we've done our jobs. This was all worth it. So yes. thank you so much for listening. Thank you. And check back. We will next not week. be silent. Yes, hell yes.